Tom Chick. You're listening to the Quarter to Three podcast. And this week we have with us Greg Kasavin, who you may or may not know from many different things. Uh, Greg, you and I go back, I guess, to GameSpot days? Yeah, something like that. I, yeah. I you used to be my boss. <laughs> your, your editor. That's right. I, I'll take that. <laughs> I, I, boss is such an ugly word. It really is, isn't it? Us That's freelancers cool. don't cotton to it too well. Yeah. Uh, so what have you been doing real quickly? And then I want to speak specifically about what you've been doing most recently. Uh, tell us briefly what you have done since GameSpot. Yeah. So, um, I left GameSpot at the beginning of 2007, uh, to get into game development, uh, which is something I have been meaning to do since I was uh, a wee lad about eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, if anything, I, I really fell in love with, uh, the gaming press side of things, and kind of woke up one day, uh, having done it for over ten years, and re- uh, you know, this thought occurred to me that like, if I don't find a way to get into game development soon, uh, I-, I just felt like I might miss my chance altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, I always felt like I could just it 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 was something that mattered to me a lot, and I felt like I could do more on on over on this side of the fence. So I ended up working at uh, Electronic Arts for uh, close to three years on the Command and Conquer franchise. I worked on uh, Command & Conquer 3 and, and Red Alert 3, um, and then um, the, the small uh, Red Alert 3 expansion pack, and then a couple of canceled projects. Um, and um, and then I left in August of 2009, I worked at 2K Games for a year, uh, and then reunited with my former EALA colleagues at a very small studio called Supergiant Games that's based out of a living room of a house uh, in San Jose. Uh, oh, is that true? Do you guys, you don't, there's no, like, I guess you're small <laughs> enough, you don't really need an office. Yeah, or or uh, need or afford, uh, as the case may be. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bootstrapped. Um, it started with just uh, two guys, uh, Amir Rao and, and Gavin Simon, uh, who I worked with closely um, at EALA. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, so I've, I've joined them now. My title there is, is creative director, but really, like, functionally, I, I, I'm, I'm the writer there and I also uh, contribute to level design. I did about uh, half the levels in Bastion. Uh, Bastion is our first game. Uh, it just came out this week and is getting. Uh, we're 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 sort of beside ourselves with with the response. Uh, it's everything we we could have possibly hoped for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say at this point. Um, and yeah, I mean, we wanted. You know, we'd been working for these big publishers and whatnot, and and we wanted to make games that were kind of more more personal and could leave a more lasting impression. And for us. Personally, on a personal level, each of us, you know, to, to kind of contribute more uh, to the end result. And we were really inspired by some of the stuff that, that was happening among uh, um, these these smaller games. And wanted now that's so that that's what strikes me most, Greg, I think, about what you guys have accomplished is that if you were to tell me, hey, it's these three dudes. And I know you've got a couple other folks there at Bastion that I want to talk to you or at Supergiant that I want to ask you about in a moment. But if you were to tell me, hey, you've got these three dudes who's worked on the Command and Conquer franchise uh, they're going to split off and make their own studio, and they're not going to do an RTS. Yeah. I, I would have thought, well, is that a good idea? Uh, so, so how does it come about that you, uh, Amir, Gavin, uh, and maybe I guess it might have started before you got there, but how does it come about that the project from these former EA LA guys is something ba- – like is Bastion specifically? Uh, well, we – 
I mean, the, the, the simple answer is um, it's, it's the sort of game that we wanted to make. Um, just because we were working uh, in, in the real-time strategy genre uh, doesn't mean we, that's the type of game we wanted to make for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, we'd, been, we'd been at it for, for quite some time, um, and we weren't about to get an opportunity to sort of uh, do something more ambitious than what we'd done in the past, um, you know, uh, it, it's like we we had we typically had uh, you know not a ton of development time on on our RTS titles, whereas like uh, in comparison to like Blizzard and Relic and stuff like that, all other things being equal, a more development time can lead to uh, a superior game. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, we all love uh, action role playing games, and for me personally, uh, for all of us, really, I think we we. We go back a ways. We've been playing games all our lives, um, and and we missed games that felt a certain way. Um, we felt that uh, it it was a feeling that had largely been lost in today's games. Like when I think back to what I call kind of the glory days of the Super Nintendo era, these games like Super Metroid and and uh, Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger um, and and others. And I have such a strong memory of those games. Um, and and very little I play today reminds me of how I felt. Uh, when I played those games, um, you know, I so in a way, I, I want to talk to you about uh, like the whole development process. But when you say stuff like that, Greg, I, I just got to jump in because I'm so yeah. glad you I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the things that I really love about Bastion, and uh, I think I'm going to get ahead of myself several times in this conversation, but I can't help it. I'm so enthusiastic about Bastion partly because when I play a Zelda game now, you know, it's fine and it's very familiar. Uh, and the way that, that the game unfolds, I, I certainly I expect, and there's a certain nostalgia there. But I feel like the Zelda games, I know what they're going to do. I know this character. I don't have any curiosity about Zelda and Link and Ganondorf or whatever. <laughs> All that stuff is the stuff of my childhood, and it's not that interesting in a way to me anymore. I, I have nostalgia for it, but it doesn't have any sense of mystery or suspense or tension or drama. Right. So what I love about Bastion is that you guys made me feel the way I felt when I was a kid playing a Zelda game, and I cared about what was going to happen. You know, there was a sense of mystery. There was wanting to know, where is this guy going to go? You know, what, what, is, what is happening in this world? What's, what's the ecology here? What's the motivation? What, uh, and, and so I love how you guys captured for me as an adult what i thought i would never get to enjoy again with things like the zelda game that's that's the that is uh, so thank you so much for that because that is I, I i think just about the the highest praise we could possibly ask for because that if you <laughs> it's funny if you if you like look at our website or whatever and you look at what our kind of what our statement is as a studio mm-hmm. that that's that's precisely the goal of games we want to make these kind of games we say that that spark players imaginations like the games they played as a kid um and and the precise you know what what that entails i i think is precisely what you just said it, it, it can't just be a nostalgia trip um it has to capture that sense of suspense of like not knowing what or what is going to happen exactly be you know and i think that's that's the key um that's what like an you know a new IP and a new story and stuff like that can yeah. can, pro- can provide um, hopefully so we um, and it, it, in fact we didn't even necessarily know that that's what we wanted at first um, the game didn't start off with some kind of grand you know design document <laughs> um, the 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 exact sort of tone of it and and the identity of the studio uh, took shape during the course of development as we sort of 
drilled into exactly what mattered to us and then and then you know as the game itself took shape so did this idea of like oh th- this is actually what we want we really miss uh, this feeling and want to want to try to recapture it so for it seems to me that uh the earliest kernel of bastion was uh, a, a combat sort of action game right like that that whole idea of running around collecting weapons doing damage like that was kind of the basis is that correct that, that is that is correct yeah it well it's it's a little bit more than that um mm-hmm. it's the the sort of the the kind of um the atomic level kind of uh, molecule that the game started with is is that is sorry that was that was totally incoherent this, this very small <laughs> idea, very small idea that the game started with was like so we love this stuff like diablo action rpgs as you said you know running running around fighting stuff um, but we're, we're very interested in in the positive feelings around uh, returning to town of all things in games uh-huh. like that um, obviously, returning to town in action RPGs could be super tedious. You're just like sloughing off, you know, all the junk that you've collected. But there's, but there are positive feelings there too, of like the the sense of safety and and planning your next move, um, and and things like that. So, so the the basic idea was an action RPG in which uh, you have a kind of a persistent base, and and some of that may be our RTS roots, uh, in fact, ah. um, where we wanted you to sort of feel even more attached. Uh, to your town than than uh, in other than in other action RPGs. Mm-hmm. So that's where it started. Um, the other sort of uh, early decisions were uh, to make a 2D game, uh, and that goes back to like missing the feel of 2D games. That that kind of responsive and super precise feel that I think uh, many 3D games still struggle uh, to capture. You know, all these years after 3D gaming has become standard. Um, and uh, and we wanted to make it isometric as well, and and that I think is another holdover of our uh, RTS days. Um, and uh, you know, some of the early decisions after that were things like the 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 world, the way that the world forms up around you. Um, we didn't want uh, players to be staring at a map the entire time, which mm-hmm. we sort of identified as a problem uh, with with action RPGs, and wanted to find a way to like direct the player without using some obnoxious arrow or anything like that. <laughs> right. um, and and we also wanted a game that that could have these kind of panoramic views. So we're like, is it possible to to see? How could you have an isometric game where you could also see the sky? So this idea of this shattered world uh, came about. It came from like a game design perspective, and then and then the fiction, um, you know, kind of rapidly followed suit, and the the uh, the design of the like the actual world design and fiction. Um, it was born out of that. So that's kind of where it all started. Now, I, I'm going to want to talk to you a bit, and I know you're probably eager to talk too, about some specific things with the story and the writing and some of the later the ways the game unfolds near the end. But if you're listening and you haven't finished, we're going to warn you before we get into any spoiler talk. Uh, so just for folks listening, you know, if you're playing Bastion, don't worry, we're going to not ruin anything, but we will eventually get into spoiler talk. Uh, and so I want to talk to you later about the way that the tone progresses as you play and how that got folded into the game. Uh, but I'll come back to that once we light the spoiler lamp here. Uh, but, but first, I want to ask you, uh, you, you guys call it an action RPG? Is that kind of internally how you yeah, regard yeah. the genre? That is that is kind of what we've said um, the, the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, knowing that the game um, deviates from the genre quite a bit, um, we felt it. You know, we we do believe it's an action RPG and has the essential components of an action RPG. Meaning, it's it's a combat-oriented game, um, and you see like damage numbers and stuff like that. And and there's it's it's a combat-oriented game about tactical combat and like character development. Um, so I think that is 
are sort of the defining characteristics of the genre. Uh, but but I mean, other than that, it's like it's just a convenient way to talk about it with people who who don't um, necessarily understand what kind of a game it is. And right. and we we did believe that it was important for people to at least have like get a basic understanding of what kind of game it is uh, without us having to get all you know esoteric on them. Now, because that that and and that whole getting esoteric on people is part of what those of us who like write about and talk about games kind of love to do. Because I I totally get calling it an action RPG. I at first, because I had the good fortune to start playing it without knowing too much about it, so I at first kind of just assumed I was playing a, a kind of a platformer. Uh, but you know, you don't really have jumping in the game, so maybe that messes up that definition. But but the more I played it, the more I felt like one of the closest analogs I can think of. Um, because unlike an action RPG, you guys don't have – you do have character development, but there's no like conventional stats or right. leveling up and learning new spells. Like It's not that pattern. What it reminded me most of um, is the way that Bioshock works as a kind of a combat sandbox game where you slot different things that you find as you find them. And so at any given time at these vending machines, you can sort of slot things to determine how your character is going to play. And then you go off and you have these combat sandbox encounters. Right. Uh, so that's what it reminded me of a lot. Um, of Also, of course, the way that you guys have this unique interaction of all these different weapons seemed very ratchet and clank. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, we, so, love, we love those games uh, as, as like from a weapon design a perspective. Yeah. And so do those conversations come up as you guys are working? Is there like – is there an intentional nod? You know, Bioshock is great. Ratchet and Clank are, are great. Uh, yeah, is- uh, so, so yes, I mean uh, both of those games and, and many, many, many others came up uh, during mm-hmm. during development. And I think that's some of the benefit of us all, you know, having a kind of a broad range of – we've all played a bunch of different games, um, and, and that, that helps us. Um, it's funny. One of the one of the questions I struggle with the most that that we get asked quite a bit um, these days is like, what you know, what were your influences on this game? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't have a, I don't have a short answer to that. Like, it's it, it, it's not any one or two games. Um, that's that's never how the design of the game was was approached. Mm-hmm. Um, but, in, in, well, let me describe uh, kind of our development process. Whenever we 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 look to make like a a, a complete feeling game um, that that felt internally consistent and and you know we we almost approached it like hey if this is going to be the last game we ever make we don't want to leave any loose ends <laughs> um, and and we we just want it to feel fully self contained um, so it's always about these these kind of incremental uh, changes and additions looking at the game what is it lacking and and focusing on that uh, one thing at a time until the game is done right. um, and and. In, in doing that, our approach is to, you know, let's say we talk about like a health system or, or a weapon or something like that. Even even these simple kind of micro design decisions, we start by thinking about what what is like a new approach to these common problems. And we'll try the new thing first. And half the time, that's going to fail miserably. Um, and, and, and then, you know, after that, we'll fall back on more conventional solutions if they make sense for our game. And that's when we look at, you know, all the different games that we like um, that have done it well. And those influences range from, as you said, you know, things like Bioshock and Ratchet and Clank to um, games, you know, games from the like beat 'em ups from the 90s, um, uh, some of the Super Nintendo games I mentioned um, and and they, they they vary wildly depending on whether you're talking about the gameplay or or the narrative or the art style any number of factors. So the the list of specific influences and like you know probably subconscious influences 
would would be very long indeed uh, on this game. But yeah, I mean, Bioshock is is one of the best games I've played in the last five years. Um, so now I, it must have been very liberating, though, as a as a smaller group of, of folks on, on two fronts. First of all, uh, to to be able to implement ideas like this with it with a small group, you're not dealing with a larger structure like EA and 2K, uh, and it also must have been very liberating to just work in general with just that few people. I mean, you must be very glad to get away from that larger corporate structure is that is that accurate uh that that is indeed accurate um they uh, there is an uh, liberating and 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 refreshing um and any number of things incredibly personally rewarding uh those are all terms i've used to describe (laughs) the the work environment of working on this game um on a personal level it was mm -hmm. it was just fantastic to only to only work with people who are like just as focused on this game as i am um, and and whose work I find incredibly inspiring. Um, so I, I think like if if this game is any good, it's really a testament to uh, to team culture and how important that is uh, because the the chemistry that we had uh, between our team, I think is is really the the thing that has uh, made this game. So, uh, so the team so far is you, Amir, and Gavin, and I know you've got at least a couple other people at Supergiant. Go ahead yeah. and round out the roster for me. Yeah, yeah this won't take long. Uh, there is, <laughs> uh, there is uh, Darren Korb, our audio director, who um, who uh, created all the music in the game and, and voice directed uh, Logan Cunningham, who uh, provides the voice of our narrator. Um, the, more about them uh, in a little bit. There, there's a cool story around those guys. Um, and uh, Gen Z is our artist. Uh, and art director. She joined the studio in um, in uh, what was it, April of uh, 2009, at a time when uh, the tone and the fiction uh, were pretty well defined, but the look was not. And she mm-hmm. was able to kind of take all that information and create a look that that it, we you know we felt uh, really uh, really nailed the the kind of atmosphere that we wanted. Um, and then of course there's uh, Andrew Wang, who is our systems engineer. He he joined us from Infinity Ward, having worked on uh, Modern Warfare one and two. So it's another pretty big. Uh, it's funny wow. we've gone yeah we've gone from making games about uh, people you know murdering each other with guns. I guess there's some uh, <laughs> murdering with with guns in in Bastion, but <laughs> you know it's. Well, now- it's yeah, tonally pretty different. Who does who's uh, HR and legal and what about those departments? That is that is Amir. <laughs> yeah, Amir Amir, uh, Amir Rao is our studio director slash lead designer, you know, slash fighter mage thief. You know, we're all uh, we're all uh, yeah, we're all multi-classed, dual-classed. Being a small <laughs> studio like this, it's uh, yeah, so seven people in total, and then yeah, if you look at the credits, uh, we had some additional support. Um, along along the way, but the the core team is is quite small. Was there anything that being published by Warner Brothers did for you guys that you wouldn't otherwise have been able to do, or, or how how important was that aspect? I mean, obviously it's helpful to have a good publisher, of course, but yeah. as far as getting the game done, getting it as good as it is. Uh, how important was it that you had Warner Brothers publishing for you guys? Yeah, so that that's that's a good question. So um, every every game on Xbox Live Arcade uh, needs a publisher and is either published by Microsoft first party or by a third party. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, after we first showed the game at PAX Prime uh, in September of last year, uh, thankfully it got a really good response and and a lot of publishers uh, came to us. And that was our that was our strategy. Uh, the game is self-funded. Um, we didn't want to waste any time trying to pitch it to people. Uh, we we didn't need their money. We just needed their uh, support to get it onto a platform. Um, uh, Warner uh, Warner Brothers was the uh, like the most excited about it, um, and and we decided to work with them. And it's gone really great. Um, they 
they have allowed us to stay uh, focused in a laser-like way on the development um, while supporting us on the marketing side. So, for example, our, our presence at PAX East and E3 are things that they were able to provide for us uh, during times that were very important to us from a development standpoint. So, like, we probably wouldn't have been able to go to PAX East uh, if not for their help. Uh, at least not in the kind of capacity that we did. Um, and, and, you know, we wanted the sort of relationship uh, with a publisher where they would have faith in us uh, to make a good game and, and basically would not uh, interfere with our development, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, uh, you know, based on our own schedule and, and our kind of mutual understanding with them. And they've just been, uh, they've been very supportive along the way. Um, so, so that, um, yeah, that's worked out really well for us, uh, actually. Now, can I ask, and I don't know if this is a tricky question to ask, feel free to, to uh, defer answering, but do you guys own the, the IP or did you sell that? We, we do own the IP. Okay. Yeah, the okay. game, uh, it, it's our wholly owned IP and, and, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it's a self-funded project. So that, that changes, uh, yeah, that changes the nature of the relationship to, to some extent. Do you guys? Uh, I mean, obviously, very early, uh, you're, you've you've got to all be on cloud nine for how well this is going over. Obviously, you've also had conversations about where you could go next. Is that something that you guys are worried about now? Or are you just sitting back and enjoying the the sort of being done with this and having a game out? Yeah, I, that's that's a good question. I think I think it's it's very much in our uh, disposition to always be worried. At least it's mine. <laughs> um, I'm yeah, I'm a. Uh, yeah, as a as a Russian Jew, I have like a bonus <laughs> bonus points. Yeah, bonus points in worrying. You've leveled uh, up that stat. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I just I I, I can't wait, help but ask that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I, I, I'll answer it in a more uh, uh, more coherent way. But we um you know so our our next being a small team, our the next thing we're going to do is the PC version of the game. Um, we. Uh, we chose to develop versions of the game serially um, so that we could just uh, stay focused on quality because there are a lot of trade-offs that come with uh, trying to uh, juggle uh, multi-platform development. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, we have a lot of ideas on uh, what we would like to do next. But, um, you know, the sort of things that you said, uh, the, you know, the kinds of feelings that you said Bastion created in mm -hmm. you, um, mm -hmm. I, I would hope that it, it is my personal dream that anything we ever work on has those kind of characteristics. Mm -hmm. um, so I, uh, and that's just kind of a broad statement, but we, we love that people seem to be responding well uh, to this game so far, because it's very much a game that expresses our, uh, our ideas about the kind of games that we love and felt that other people could love as well. And so, yeah, if people like this kind of stuff, we, we would very much like to keep going um, in this kind of direction and, and kind of owning our, our craft um, and, and just trying to get better and better at, at doing this kind of stuff. So I want to ask you two questions that I know you've probably heard a million times, but I just want to get your answers on record for those two questions. Then, Greg, I want to kind of be a jerk and raise two concerns I have about the game. No worries. Then, I, then I want us to light a spoiler lamp and I want to talk about some specific sort of like story things that, that I'm going to run people off if they haven't finished it yet before we do that. So first of all, the two questions that I know you've heard a million times, and I'll just throw them both at you and you, we can knock the answers out quickly. Is there a timeline on when folks can expect it for the PC and when and where can we get the soundtrack? 
Ah, uh, yes. Um, so for the PC version, all we've committed to is is later this year sometime. Okay. It's still in, it's still in development, um, and and kind of the top priority there um, is to make sure the default uh, PC controls are are really solid because we did design the game first and foremost around uh, console style controls, and we'll support those on PC. Uh, but uh, yeah, we want to make sure that the kind of uh, uh, the the finesse based uh, character movement, the kind of tight responsive controls that we have on console are going to carry over to PC. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we uh, hopefully we will have an announcement on that relatively soon uh, as as we figure out when we will be done. As for the soundtrack, that is um, that is uh, we're, we're happy to be getting that question a lot uh, this week. Um, we are are actively uh, looking into that and have have been. Um, the music was a really important part of the game all through development actually um and was one of the first you know when when we had a sense of the tone that we wanted uh, darren our, our our composer and audio director he was like the first guy to basically take that the those kind of semi-vague ideas and turn them into something it, it, like create actual content around them um and then and then when we heard that we're like yep that's it and we started we started creating the content you know in some ways around the music so we knew that the music was going to be an important part of the game and it's it, it's awesome to see uh, the response to it are you are you surprised i mean i i'm kind of surprised that you guys aren't ready to with like yes we we we've looked into getting the soundtrack we're we're on it i mean i sort of feel like you guys don't really like you're not ready to give us the soundtrack yet and and you should have known we would want it we uh we strike strike it up to us uh, being a a small team i suppose um, <laughs> okay, we, fair we definitely we had uh we we certainly had an impression um and um we basically like when we finished development, we then moved on to work on the trailer. Like the the recent launch trailer that we did is all you know we all did did that in house with our own resources, and Darren created original music for that, and so on. So that was our next priority. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, as as with anything that we release, we we will aim to like if we do a soundtrack, we want to make sure it's a high quality thing. You know, mm-hmm. not not just the tracks on it um the whole the whole deal so that's why we haven't just like kicked something out yet good okay now you mentioned earlier you uh you had a story about darren and logan uh oh yeah yeah just um they so part of the reason the so we're we're very happy with the quality of the voiceover in the game and i think the only reason we were able to get that is because uh darren and logan were roommates for much of the project and they go and they go back with a mirror to like middle school they were like playing soccer together in san jose so these guys have known each other for a long time and those kind of personal connections i think like i like i alluded to before i think those are very key uh, to whatever success we've experienced thus far as a studio um so you know in most games they they'll be able to record audio what like three times during production or something like that uh, whereas with us we must have recorded like like 70 times or something <laughs> multiple times a week um you know kind of drop what you're doing get in the we don't even have a recording it was literally recorded out of a coat closet in like darren's apartment uh pretty you know pretty macgyver style uh but but that kind of um that kind of access to to voice talent is what enabled our our whole uh, narration technique and i don't think we would have even pursued something like that did it, had we not known a guy like uh, like logan yeah, it's not like you have to like worry about how many hours do we have the talent today. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, th- so those are the the two questions. Good. I'm glad to know you guys are working on the soundtrack. 
glad you guys are getting folks on the PC the opportunity to play it. Now, the, the two kind of uh, – not really objections, just things I want to throw at you. Um, I think – and I, I feel terrible saying this. I think I hate the name, but ah. only because – I remember you dropping me a, a brief message before E3 saying, hey, uh, I'm working on this game, Bastion, come see it. And I didn't know anything about it, and I really thought I was coming to see some military shooter with a really tough guy you know, who's like a bastion against terrorism right. or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, so having played the game, I understand that, that the bastion is a, a physical thing in the game, and uh, it, it figures very prominently. I mean, by the time the game was over, I absolutely understood the significance of the title. But I, I think as far as like selling this game and as far as what the name means to people like me who didn't know anything about it, I think I don't like your title. And I kind of feel bad about that because I love it having finished the game. So what what are y'all's feelings on that? Am, am yeah, I mean to hate your title? No, uh, it, it, it's I mean, all all uh, opinions on, on the gamer are certainly valid. It's it's um, it is. It, it's funny. It's a very it, it's a title. It's one of those cases where. The, the title dates back to the earliest stages of development before we like back to that original idea I mentioned before of like the the positive feelings of returning to town that's where the bastion name came from so it was it was in fact the working title for the project and then when it came time to like come up with a real title <laughs> um, nothing nothing sort of opposed it. it it was it was the strongest uh, title that we had and and to some extent uh, that may be because we had sort of um I think we're pretty good about not getting overly attached to our own stuff just because we've been like hearing it for a while but in that particular case um it, it expressed um you know it's sort of very deliberately called bastion as opposed to the bastion if that makes any sense sure. um, it, it expressed to us um the the kind of feelings that the game uh, is about um like like when you think of how people use the word bastion it's it's used in a, ver a variety of different ways um the the idea that it like connotes this kind of military shooter i totally get that uh but but i think at the same time when people see it um in in context like they the, they see the logo and like the the cover of the game they they can tell um you know obviously right. it's not uh, a shooter but but i um i mean i hear you on on that uh, we we didn't want it it's like we really didn't want like a freaking subtitle we didn't want it to sound like another you know just like another video game title we wanted it to be like a strong um and evocative um um title of some sort so yeah that's uh, that's the best we've got not not bastion colon the reckoning yeah exactly <laughs> uh yeah so you know we uh, we we considered it's like we we considered some other stuff and like i said we uh nothing nothing even came nothing even came close ultimately when when we got to seriously uh, considering. Can you give me one example of something that you considered and threw out? We we considered we also considered the name Monument, which is um, which is uh, another thing that has significance in the game, um, and that you know, but that had such and we didn't consider it for super long, um, but that it had like such a like a solemn kind of connotation that that we right. didn't. We we didn't really care for for that one, <laughs> right. um, but but um, you know that that gives you some idea. I also like, you know, I thought about like th th there's uh, the well this will get into spoiler territory, so I won't go there. Okay, hold that. But, yeah, hold um, there you go. Uh, now the the other minor uh, yeah. I guess sort of complaint that I have uh, is that uh, y you guys were necessarily kind of playing it close to the vest when you were demoing the game. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that unfolds, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. That yeah. It's arguably a spoiler. Um, 
But I, I wonder, I can't help but wonder how hard it was to kind of demo this game when you're playing it so close to the vest, when there's so many cool things that happen later that you don't want people to see. And I, and I say that from firsthand experience yeah. because when I saw it at E3, I just kind of was like, oh, yeah, they're doing a cute little platformer. It's something like, you know, Lost Winds on the Wii. It's one of those kind of things. It'll be a little throwaway thing, and the little cute dude runs around and jumps on things. And, oh, they've got <laughs> this kind of somber narrator. All right, next game. And I, I kind of feel like you could have done – I could have been hooked much more readily if I'd known some of the things you were going to do, although it would have robbed the experience of some of the surprise and the mystery and the joy. So I understand the trade-off. Yeah. Um, but I can't help but feel, and I'm glad you guys are doing well. I mean, I, I everywhere I'm turning, everybody loves this thing, and that's great. I mean, I know there have been some critical reviews, and you know what? Screw those guys. <laughs> for, the, for the most part, I'm just so overjoyed to see a game like this being recognized for what it does that's unique and special. But I can't help but think – if you guys had sacrificed a little bit of your attachment to that sense of mystery and joy, you could have reached more people more easily. Uh, and I, I, I am glad that I'm probably wrong because you guys seem to be doing fine. But is that something you struggled with? Like there's uh, these cool things we're going to do we want to tell people about to sell the game, but we're not going to because we want to preserve that sense of mystery. Uh, so uh, you make yeah you make a you you raise uh, definitely something that we we talked about uh, quite a bit during development and and did feel strongly about um it was it was as you say a trade off um i feel that many uh, games out there are are sort of overexposed um in in the pre kind of before they're released in this sense and and the and then when you play them the mystery isn't there and the suspense isn't there because you you just know what you're in for and that's part of the reason you don't end up playing to the end because you play it for a couple of hours and you have that feeling of like, okay, I get it, um, and then you move on. Mm -hmm. um, and we did not want pe we did not want Bastion to end that way for people. Um, and and the story was important to us, so we felt that the the part of the game that we let people play uh, was was the prologue and the the opening twenty minutes. And we did we did feel uh, rather strongly actually that that. Uh, opening 20 minutes was it was evocative of the experience and and because there is a pretty big reveal at the end of just those first 20 minutes um and, and what is the what is the reveal the, the reveal is is getting to the bastion the first time oh um, right, right yeah and and um and what happens there and and sort of the real is it's the first time you realize something about the nature of the narration um for for those who uh, you know i'm i'm being cagey for those who haven't played it um so here, see, I'm still being cagey about it. It's uh, just talking. I don't even want to spoil the first 20 minutes. But it's like um, we and and that you know when we showed that to people at at PAX Prime for the first time, first of all, we were like overwhelmed at the positive response there. Um, but but consistently, people were like, I want to know what happens next. Which as a writer, that is music to my ears. That is all I want people to be asking or like saying right if, if they can if they can just be saying i want to know what happens next th <laughs> through to the end of the game and then feel satisfied by the ending then i've done my job mm -hmm. um and and the fact that they were compelled by the world that we had created and and felt like that there was something significant going on uh to us that was enough um and then and then we just had to deliver on that because the other side of it is again it's like we don't want to like we we don't want people to sort of think that this is just some kind of cerebral you know arty farty game it's like meant to be the whole point of the narration technique in the game um is is so that we could deliver story without e ever interrupting the play experience for the sake of our damn story 
Um, we just want people <laughs> to be able to play it and have fun if that's what they want or think they want, and then hopefully become enthralled uh, in the narrative as it sort of a uh, you know slow burns uh, into them. So it, it it's very difficult to convince people that your story is going to be good, um, or or that like you're dealing with you know like thematic issues you know, that you care about themes and stuff like that. It's just, mm -hmm. it, it just comes off as pretentious or something and people, people tune it out. They just want to know what the moment to moment play experience is going to be like. So we focused on making sure that the early part of the game, uh, quickly established the atmosphere that we wanted, introduced some of the cool game systems that we had, um, and, and could immerse people both, uh, through the atmosphere and the gameplay. Um, and, you know, again, we got such a good response to that, that that we felt that it was enough, and then we kept the rest of it close, uh, close to our chests. We did, you know, consider we had like a conversation. It's like, uh, should we show people Prosper Bluff or something like that? And I'm like, no, hell no. Uh, <laughs> you, you, that that is meant to be experienced in in context, uh, because if you show it out of context, it it loses its power. I think. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, that that was our reasoning. Okay, well, I'm championing at the bit now to talk some specifics. So if you're playing Bastion, I mean, you should be playing Bastion. If you haven't finished it, uh, it's not necessarily one of those super long games. It's going to take you 50 hours. So if you haven't finished it, please go away. Uh, finish it and then come back. Uh, mark this spot on the podcast uh, and then come back because things now that are going to be talked about uh, could arguably spoil the experience. So please go away. Get out of here. Are you, are you at leave? If you have not finished, you, 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 I see you there. Get out, close the door. All right, they're gone. Okay, let's talk spoilers. Um, specifically, what are some of the things that, because I have a hard time kind of writing about it, and even talking about it, because I kind of feel like you do, Greg, is that I, I you know what, people should just re experience this stuff. They should uncover it on their own. They should be able to discover it just like I yeah. did. What are specifically some of the things that you don't, want spoiled so keep in mind everybody who's in the room now has finished the game at least right. once uh yeah what are specifically some of the things that you're really sorry so you mentioned prosper bluff yeah and by golly i hated kind of even mentioning it but i had to talk about it no, you know no, this the song that that yeah. darren wrote and that ashley sang for prosper bluff is just absolutely fucking magical um so i presume that's one of the things too right like that kind of thing you don't want people to know about until they get yeah. there yeah the so so it's it's like just about it's just about everything about it um, in this, like the fact that the narrator is a character in the game. Um, that that is what I was alluding uh -huh. to just a minute ago. Of like that to us was a big reveal. The moment of uh, in the prologue where you know he says he finds another, he finds me, and that's like one of the that's the moment where uh, around the time that we ended off, you know, the first time we showed the game, and mm -hmm. people were like, whoa, that you know that already like spins this whole thing, makes me rethink everything i've been uh, i've been doing here so that's a big that's a big mm -hmm. moment um all the characters like the, the moments where you find zulf and zia who are the two other kind of major characters in the story um are meant to be big moments um so so the mere existence of other characters in the world uh, was something that we wanted to protect so that when you discover other kind of living characters um it it, you know people should feel kind of startled it, it was meant to be a big deal narratively mm -hmm. um the the other other stuff is like um when you uh when you encounter um when you encounter the ura 
uh, late in the game as a, as an opponent, um, that's meant to be kind of a startling moment because you've been going through the game ostensibly looking for survivors, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you you spend sort of Act Three uh, fighting and and apparently kind of killing. Uh, human beings who are standing against you. Um, now, so- am I also not mistaken? Aren't I, I was a little surprised, and I think I'm right about this. A lot of the Ura are women, aren't they? That's that's correct. They're men and women. Um, it, it, they're basically, you know, it's like a vigilante army. Uh, they they hate you uh, intensely for what they think that you represent. Um, at and that you point. guys, I mean, that's kind of manipulative, and then I don't mean that in a negative way, but that's kind of manipulative to, to force this little kid, the player, to, to fight and, and kill these surviving women. Like that's, you know, we, we were used to fighting soldier dudes in a way, right. but uh, that, yeah. that's kind of mean of you guys. I mean, good play, but uh, that, that was mean. I hated doing that. It, it is, uh, it is you, you know, there are other things that, um, yeah, we even uh, wipe out, you know, you can like the little pets that you gather in town. Uh, those could get wiped out um, in the attack on the bastion, and that's pretty. I don't mean. think I. I, I yeah. Uh, is, but, there, uh, is there any way for the squirt to survive? I just want to know. <laughs> it's it's probably possible. Um, it's yeah no. Well, it it all it all ties back to one of the endings. Actually, it, it it's meant to give um, the the restoration ending um, a part of its impact. You know, the sense. Uh, the sense that and obviously the endings are you know kind of the 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 direction that the whole story is going is something that we of course uh, wanted to wanted to protect um but yeah this idea that you've you've had to do you've had to get your hands dirty mm. by the end of the game uh, but here is your opportunity to to um to undo um what it is that you've done right um, and and the conflict like the internal conflict around around that um uh, part of uh, you know we uh, Amir and I um, I did I did the writing and Amir served as my as my editor and we we talk a lot about like re, you know how bad it is in a lot of stories that the whole story is about like restoring the status quo that like at the end of the story <laughs> you, you you save the world and everything is fine and it's like if if nothing is changed at the end of the game then then or at the end of a story then the whole story is pointless. Um, uh, and so, so the the story is is in some ways kind of a a twist on that idea that here at the end you are presented with uh, with an option to sort of restore the status quo, and then you realize like oh god th- this is this isn't an obvious choice actually. Um, so so that's that's where some of those um, ideas come from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean even so. So I, I, I've talked a bunch about the story stuff. Even even the scope of the game, um, the, the different game systems, we wanted those to continually surprise people. Things like the shrine, uh, which we did end up talking about, um, and the memorial, which we didn't reveal to anyone. We wanted like the sense of progression in the Bastion to in and of itself be surprising. We kept a lot of the weapons hidden. We didn't want people to know that we had like a, a goddamn flamethrower and like a, <laughs> and like a cannon and stuff like that. We wanted them to expect that we'd stay you know pretty conventional kind of medieval action rpg type stuff but all of a sudden you know you're running around with a rifle and and all this kind of crazy stuff um it it, it all it all ties back to what you were saying before that we did want to surprise people with kind of where the game ends up going and one of the things too that i love about that is that it, it each weapon really did feel unique. I mean, each time I got a new gun or a new uh, weapon or, you know, the, even the, the spear, uh, there was a whole different, and I used the word vocabulary when I was writing about it, there's a whole different vocabulary for how it interacted with the, with the world. Um, that, that must have taken a lot of, I guess I want to say tuning. Uh, uh, 
so were there a lot of things left on the cutting floor? Uh, did you guys ever feel – because it never felt like you run out of ideas and just gave me something. Like even the battering ram at the end, which is just kind of <laughs> silly. I was like, well, you know what? They've earned this. If they just want to give me an I win button for the last level, it reminds me a bit of the, the, the what they do with the gravity gun at the end of Half-Life. Yeah. And I was like, you know, good for them. Yes, let them do that. If they, it wasn't like you guys ran out of ideas. It's like you finally earned this this great big kill everything button that I could use to to plow through the last level. Uh, so how much tuning did that take? And were there any ideas that you had to leave on the floor? Yeah. So it took um so it took a ton of tuning. Um, tuning was something that uh so Amir Rao um was was the guy who tuned uh, damn near the entire game. Um, everything from the weapons to uh, actually Gavin Gavin did some of the tuning as well, but uh, Amira was primarily responsible for it. Um, and this this does uh, take us back to our RTS days where tuning ah. is tuning is essential. Um, getting the weapons to feel uh, balanced and viable, and making sure that there are no runts in the litter was something that was very very important <laughs> to us. And and we were like tuning the game was like the last. It was the first thing we did and the last thing we did. It, it, it was it was consistently done all throughout the development process because getting that feel of everything to be just right um, is is really really challenging. And the more uh, iteration that you do, you know, the more likely you are to to get it right. But then you also have to know when to stop. Um, so it's uh, it's it's a tricky uh, art. Um, and you know you know we definitely we we left a a bunch of stuff on the cutting room floor. But but that's but. I, I should barely even say it that way because we we held nothing back from this game. Um, we cut only the stuff that like we knew, uh, like was was just a bad idea or wasn't going to work and stuff like that. Um, they because our our whole development style is all about rapid prototyping and we can you know if someone on the team has an idea we could get it into the game um, like in the same day like within a couple of hours or something like that in a basic functional form and then we decide you know is this viable do we want to pursue this so we had like a we had like a bull whip um and stuff like that. we had like <laughs> other other weapons and you know we got the whip in the game and it's like oh god this is just this is terrible and this doesn't even and you know the, like where we drew the line with the weapons was each weapon had to have its own distinct identity so in the case of the whip it was um it was like this kind of area of effect you know not super powerful but could like hit multiple guys in one shot and mm. we're like dude we we have the scrap musket, the shotgun, and like this, and the shotgun is awesome, and the whip is terrible. <laughs> so why do we? <laughs> so so we cut the whip, for example, um, and that's um, you know, and we we had we ended up with I think plenty of plenty of stuff um, uh, that we did like, um, but yeah, we we kind of uh, explored a lot of different ideas. We even in the early early days, we even prototyped some pretty crazy stuff like a jetpack. Uh, for the for the kid and stuff like that. <laughs> Suddenly you were flying around, which was like it was fun, but completely game breaking with the way that we built the levels, um, things of that nature. And it also didn't fit the fiction, you mm -hmm. know, as that took form. Well, I noticed um, at the at the end you do add in with the appearance of hopscotch. Yes. I almost seized up. I got the hopscotch and I saw I had to jump over a gap, and I almost was like, oh, these guys are about to jump the shark. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just such a mercifully brief minor part of the game that it almost kind of felt like. You were teasing me, like making me think I was going to have to do jumping puzzles. Uh, so it's almost like like you guys were pulling my leg with the hopscotch. Like I felt like like that was a, a gag almost. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's funny. Um, we had so hopscotch was in the game uh, early on and we um, and that what it also turned out to be like super game breaking 
um, it, with the way that we designed the levels uh, for for a long time during development, it was just one of the it was one of the um, the spirits available at the distillery, and we kept saying ah. like. We kept saying like, "Oh, this this breaks this level. Let's push it back. Let's not <laughs> unlock it until later and later." And then we're like, "Oh, we're doing new game plus. You'll be able to go through the whole game with hopscotch." <laughs> and we're like, "Okay, we can't do it." But we all we all had a lot of fun with it as like a as an interesting alternative to the to the evasive role. Um, so that that's where. Th- uh, that's where we we thought like, hey, let's let's give it kind of its its cameo appearance in in the end game just to make the end game feel that much more you know like it's like it's going over the top between the hopscotch and and the and the battering ram and stuff like that. Um, and I so, also have to say I can't help but think that when you come up with a name like hopscotch <laughs> when you're using those these these puns, uh, how can you you can't leave that on the cutting room floor? Yeah, it's got to be in there. That's so cute. <laughs> no, exactly. Actually, uh, hopscotch. It was um, when we were so we had the idea of the distillery system mm-hmm. before it was the distillery, if that makes sense. Because it is you you alluded to Bioshock. It is like reminiscent of. Of the gene tonics and stuff like that in Bioshock, mm-hmm. um, uh, admittedly, um, they're, they're, it's one of the uh, influences on on the system. Um, but but yeah, Hopscotch was like this specific name where we were like, oh dude, this is a <laughs> like this is a fun idea. Like no one's you know my 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 gag like the way I propose it to the team as I'm like it's like Pokemon but with hard liquor instead of animals. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that is beautiful. Yeah, now, I, now- I, yeah, no one else was going <laughs> to pursue that kind of idea anytime soon. So. Uh, you, you did mention briefly, uh, I think we had a brief email exchange where you, where you were sort of, uh, you addressed the fact that there is alcohol and there is smoking in this game. Yeah. Uh, there's also, there there is gunplay. Um, however, you did get an E10 rating. Yep. Uh, was was that was that tough? Because I, I, first of all, I agree with you totally. This is something you told me. I think this is a beautiful game for kids. I have a friend who's got a six-year-old, and he's real careful about what a six-year-old plays and sees. And I, I, I think that this is a game that I kind of feel his six-year-old should play and enjoy, and there's great stuff for him there. And I think you guys play it safe enough with the, the gunplay, and it's not a, there's no gory, there's no like gratuitous bloody stuff. And the, the, the jokes about liquor aren't in any way glamorizing drinking, and the smoking pipe doesn't look like a cigarette or anything. It's nothing a kid would see. I mean, I feel like you've done a great job of being kid friendly, and I don't mean that to say kiddie, uh, yep. but but just something that parents can feel confident about. You know, there's nothing here that's going to contradict the way I want to raise my child. Uh, it, it wasn't E10 tough with liquor references, shooting guns, and and a smoking instance. That's uh, so so. I I really appreciate everything uh, you said just there because that that was definitely something that was important to me um, tonally for the game and, and for the game world. Uh, I wanted it, you know, as I, as I alluded to before, it's like I, I, I really fell in love with games when I was a kid, and I feel strongly that there aren't enough games these days that, that, that can, like, have that effect on younger players. At least I, I, maybe they're out there and I'm not aware of what they are, but, like, the games being targeted at kids are, like, these manipulative you know, web games and games, desi- you know, microtransaction games and stuff yep. like that designed to get their parents to swipe a credit card or something. Um, anyway, um, so I, I I saw it as like a as like a really fun challenge to make this kind of world that that was like ultimately kid friendly, but but uh, obviously kind of not meant for kids either. Um, and, and and I was 
I was pretty sure that we were going to wind up with a uh, with a teen rating, especially with the Ura that you end up basically killing dudes um, mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, but but then I saw that Portal Two got an E10 plus, and I started. Um, I started sort of changing my like like it was never we were never like concerned that we we never approached it from like what rating do we want to get and like reverse engineering that right ah, good. we just made we just made the world that we wanted to make um I I figured it like I hoped that it would be the sort of world that that could appeal to kids but I figured that it was going to get a teen rating for a while um and then we landed the E10 plus and that was really cool um it is it is deliberate that you know although we say things like whiskey and bourbon like it is you know the game ostensibly is not set on earth we don't like say that it's alcohol and gets you drunk or anything like that (laughs) um and and likewise um you know with the yeah with the smoking pipe and everything we don't say that it's smoking tobacco like we we basically keep those references are fairly obvious uh but but at the same time we don't sort of go over the top with the nudging and winking and right right have the kids stumbling around like a like a drunk fool (laughs) well the smoking pipe doesn't have any effect that dramatically different from say eating out of the cooking pot (laughs) (laughs) or sleeping on the bedroll yeah exactly right and and then the other um you know the other side of it is like we we obviously played around a lot with some of the enemy names like like a uh, scumbag and and pecker and stuff like that and the you know the double meanings there are are of course totally uh, totally intentional and those those were to us very those were very important names in terms of defining the kind of um to some extent like the playful tone that we wanted mm-hmm. um, or where the narrator can kind of blow th- you know it's it, it's some sort of meta humor or whatever like the narrator would never think that that scumbag is like a funny word, but when you hear it, it's it's just sort of you know it's just sort of ridiculous. Uh, well, now, so you, one of the things, Greg, that I, I really love about what you've done here, and uh, and I think you probably deserve ninety nine percent of the credit here, even though you, I, I know you're probably going to want to say this was a team thing, but the the writing here, uh, and it, from things like the story to calling something a pecker, that's just a bird that annoys you, uh, to, to hopscotch, to some of the names for the, the, the different creatures and even the names for the weapons. Um, th- there's such a delight uh, with wordplay and with the sound of words, and there, there's, a, there's a genuine poetry to Bastion thank, that thank is so, so rare in video games. And I, you know, when you, when you said... Uh, before that you've always wanted to make video games you know i i think of plenty of critics who go on to 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 write and sort of work in the area that they've studied so you know i nothing personal but anytime i hear about a reviewer going to work at a studio i kind of like cringe a little bit because i think of things like you know roger ebert famously did this valley of the dolls script And and I think there's a guy named Rod Lurie who used to be a movie critic who's made these sort of aggressively middling movies. So it is really inspiring to me, Greg, that that someone like you who comes from a a games journalism background, from writing about games, has so successfully created this really beautiful, just amazingly well-written game. And I see that in everything from the story to, as I said, the names of the weapons and names of the creatures. Uh, It just – I, I'm just so pleased and inspired by what you've been able to do with this. Thank, thank you so much. You, you've just, you've just, uh, you have just told me the nicest thing that anyone has ever <laughs> said to me. So, so thank you. Um, that I mean, uh, that's that's really, that's really everything I, uh, you know, that's everything I could have hoped to accomplish with this game, really, because I, I was certainly faced with with the kind of with the natural skepticism similar to what you just described. Right? It's like who who am I? 
to think that I could do this, right? It's like I, I, I dealt with that. I had to I had to go join a studio composed of, you know, these friends of mine who trusted me to have a shot at doing something like this um, after, you know, after kind of working in the industry for five years. This was really my chance. Uh, what can I say? Uh, it, it meant a lot to me. Um, and my, you know, I grew up, my, my parents used to tell me, you know, that I should go write a book and stuff like that. And I would tell them, I want to write a game. Like, I think it's, I think it's different. Um, and, and I, I think my, if it is any good, I think it, it comes from my, my background as, as both a writer and a game player, right? Because I, I, like you, you get these games that are, you know, we've commissioned, you know, this so-and-so famous author or whatever screenwriter (laughs) to write our story. And that, that rarely ends well, right? Um, because people, writing games i think is its own form it's like screenwriting it's its own it's its own thing um and and it's it's not a i think it's as yet a you know a not a terribly well understood form um mm-hmm. and but it's something um i'm i'm of course uh, very interested in and and you know trying to write a, create a world that that could have some kind of emotional impact and have some humor and emotional range and stuff like that uh, that's that's all i could have wanted to to accomplish with this now so, do you so, have a background in like as far as reading or writing or studying uh poetry well, is so, so so i'm an english lit major in college uh-huh. right so uh-huh. uh, yeah that's um i i yes i mean i i you know i i've read a lot of old fiction and and love love poetry as well um, and, well, here's and why I ask like because I think yeah. the format that 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 Bastion presents and 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 you obviously understand it. You and uh, you, you manage to work it well into the game is you're having to present a feeling with right. little snippets of text at a time. Uh, you can you cannot count on the player on having the player's attention long enough to write a paragraph. You, you know right. that's something a novelist can do. It's a luxury. But for the medium you're working in, Greg, and I I just applaud how well you understood it. Everything had to be delivered in a little. Whether it's the name of a level, you know, for instance, the fact, Greg, that uh, one of the challenges takes place in a I think it's a, a dump. Um, and it's called uh, maybe it's Grady's Dump or something oh, like Grady, that. Oh, Grady, Grady Incinerator, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I and if I'm not mistaken, don't don't you find the, the sort of the charred like Grady Senior and Grady Junior earlier, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. You you have met the people who owned this dump. It's the same, right. I think, with uh, is it you, uh, you, Jawson? Is yeah, it, you hear you hear Jawson referenced a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So so you cannot write a paragraph about and these guys named the Grady's owned an incinerator in this world. You can't do that because no one's going to pay attention to it. and No one cares. What you can do is carefully posit these little bits of information in, in discrete chunks and let it sort of stew and bubble in the player's head. And some players will miss it and some players will get it. Uh, but but it, it takes a very specific format. And is it is it difficult to, to write in that, or is it easier? Because it, it kind of strikes me in a way like poetry, just doing a thank, line at a time. Well, thank, so so um, so I, I should say, uh, by the way, that um, uh, Amir Rao uh, is also an English lit major. So between the two of us, he, ser- he served as my editor, um, and we pushed on the writing very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that much I can say. We we did write line by line, and and the way that we the way that we regarded this is like if 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 a line of narration is not adding something substantial to the game we we do not include it 
Um, Ted, so would, you, we, would you please, please go over to Japan and tell that to everybody making some of those potentially great RPGs over there? <laughs> yeah, I hear. I, I mean, it's very much a uh, a response, uh, you know, to, to some of that. Um, mm-hmm. As much as I, uh, as much as I dearly love uh, Japanese RPGs, um, I, I mean, a lot of it comes. Like I, I, I've cited that you know one of the early tonal influences is, is the author Cor, uh, Cormac McCarthy, who I think has a very kind of um, you know like a poetic style and can can have these like super high contrast um, scenes where on the one hand you have like this 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 uh, he just paints these like incredibly beautiful landscapes and then it's like this you know intense evil in the hearts of men this people who you know pack like a ton of meaning into just a few words this super concise dialogue um that was kind of some of the feel that we were going for but but of course like extracting the evil um out of the story because evil is done um excessively in games and and we wanted a more um optimistic and kind of uh, ultimately you know up uplifting or or somewhat bittersweet tone to it not not something where you're just you know ridding the world of evil because that's a cliche so the, um, the two things you just, by the way, bringing up Cormac McCarthy, you just blew my mind. Cause, oh, yeah? yeah? I mean, I totally get that now. Yeah, that, that's okay, cool. absolutely. And, yeah. and also, so the, the tone that I, I mean, you mentioned ridding the world of evil is kind of cliche, and you're right. But it seems like what you're getting at here, the, the word that I would offer is melancholy. There's a really sad quality to, uh, to Bastion that I, I can't think of many video games really, really having. Um and and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just yeah. you know, this well, kind of this terrible thing has happened. Let's uncover how it happened, why it happened, and now am I going to rewind time or am I going to run away from it? Uh, right. It's, it's 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 melancholy. It's very sad, and it's it it sort of it, it's throughout even before you really know what's going on. There is this very melancholy tone to it. Right. Well, the the I, I hope um I hope that it it is more than that because I think like like. It's meant so the melancholy is of course very, uh, very intentional. One of the, so the one of the main, uh, I, I should barely even vocalize this because I like that there is an interpretive quality to the story, and I don't want to just sort of make it on the nose for people. But <laughs> we're very, we're very interested in this idea of like how how people cope with feelings of regret. We felt that that is something that a lot of people can identify with in life because everyone makes choices that they that they second guess mm-hmm. um and and we and and so that's like the one thing that all the characters <clears throat> in the game have in common is that they're they have they are looking back on their lives and trying to like retrace you know what what the hell happened to them mm-hmm. um and 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 they you know the the characters at least the the characters each struggle with that differently and deal with it differently but like to to overcome a sense of regret is not a melancholy feeling it's ultimately um a positive feeling when you realize you know what i've i've lived my life the way um the way i wanted and i've made my choices and and i'm gonna and i'm gonna live with it Mm -hmm. um and i'm not gonna just and i'm not gonna look back um and and that that is some of the feeling that we wanted to capture um, in addition to, but but at the same time, in order to have that feeling, you have to have that sense of regret first, and and like you know the 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 hanging gardens level where you first find Zolf, uh, where he's just standing there, you know, staring into the sky, like that's God, that's yeah. meant to be one of the darkest 
that that is meant to be probably you know the single kind of darkest moment of the game of like yep everything is really fucked um and and a lot of and you know this guy has kind of lost his soul here um so so you know zolf of course is sort of the the, the character who who is unable to overcome uh, his his regret about what happened um but the other characters uh, fare fare a little bit better well now is it isn't bastion a tragedy though um no okay. i don't i don't think that i mean I, I i so i think it depends on if if you well i i, I accept any it, it should be open to interpretation right okay fair um, enough. I, I i think uh, but but i think if you the the i think the um so we 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 present the two endings at the end mm-hmm. um <clears throat> I think sort of the the I, I a way that I hope people some people play it is that they play through the game once and choose the restoration ending um, and and choose to sort of undo what they have done and then they play through it a second time and choose uh, the the evacuation ending um, mm-hmm. and choose to sort of accept the circumstances and move on um, and that um, and that is the idea that you can sort of carry on. Um, in the wake of a terrible disaster, and still like appreciate what l- life still has to offer, I don't think is is a tragic uh, conclusion. Okay. Um, good. In fact, it's possible uh, to finish. You know, you you have an opportunity to save Zulf at the end, um, and he, if you save him and you choose the restoration ending, uh, sorry, the the evacuation ending, he's he's there. He survives, and and the the implication is that you like, you know, he he. he you have an opportunity to reconcile with him. Um, so there's a way to, to save, there's a way to save all the characters. Um, but, but, you know, in exchange, you, you accept the world, uh, you know, for how it is. And, and you sort of uh, are left with the, the calamity having had its effect, but then, you know, further, uh, what, what is implied in that final scene and the evacuation ending is, is that in fact, the calamity is not as far reach, reaching as initially suspected. Uh, because you see that uh, part uh, part of the world um, is, it, you know, on the horizon has has uh, ostensibly not been afflicted by the calamity. It, it was, you know, the calamity may have affected the world as far as the eye can see, but now in the Bastion you can fly farther than that. Um, and there, you know, further adventures await these characters and mm-hmm. so forth. You know what, I uh, guess I, I, I put so much weight on the time I spent in the game discovering it that in a way I don't appreciate it seems like like the conclusion takes up such relatively little time as far as my experience with it that I I just assign more weight to how I was feeling going through it before coming to that ending because I've definitely you know I've played twice so I've definitely been able to rescue Zulf and evacuate with the Bastion and and so you're right there is this with the the basic I guess it's a total of four endings how you uh, make the two choices. There is an opportunity for redemption, uh, yeah. but, but but throughout it just felt so melancholy yeah. and tragic. And discovering yeah. things about you know the background for Zia and Zolf, and and specifically like what Zia has been through with her yeah. family and uh, so, so, yeah. So I, I should speak to that. I mean the so everything with um all all of the character backstories are are tragic. Um they they have all suffered uh, loss of some sort. Um in 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 Zolf's case. It's a it's a very terrible lo- like the idea with Zulf is that he had the best life uh, before the calamity, um, so he stood to lose the most. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Zia, the the contrast with her is like her life was actually kind of shitty. 
Um, so, so, and, and so she has this like kind of insane realization and, and she knows it's kind of selfish or whatever that, oh my God, my life is like better after this. And she's, it's a strange feeling for her. Um, but you know what? I, I love when you um, show her the, the harp at the end. She says, you know, I, I what is it? Uh, yeah. The moments I treasure the most are actually the ones that happened after the conflict. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. her, her past, she doesn't want to go back to her past life. It was right. bad. Um, and, and now she's like found friends. She's accepted. Um, and, and, and the whole world is open to her. Um, so, uh, but, but then, yeah, I mean, back to what you said, it's like the, the, the circumstances with the Ura are, are, are absolutely meant to be tragic. Um, it's a, it's a terrible misunderstanding. Um, and it was very important to me, um, if, for the story to not have, like, I didn't want a villain. I wanted an antagonist, <laughs> um, like Zulf, Zulf, you know, based on the information that he knows is sort of fully in the right to want to like take exact some kind of revenge it, his whole world comes crashing down when he realizes that these people he thought he loved so much are in fact like responsible for for decimating his own people um and and he you know he rallies them against you um and and it all you know blows up in his face terribly um and and that it, it's very you know it, I, I i don't want the player to just fight bad guys it's like i want anyone that anything or anyone that you fight to feel sort of supported that they have a reason to attack you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's, so yeah, the era, you know, uh, it's definitely, um, th there's a lot of, uh, tragedy there and that's just meant to be evocative of the kind of shit that happens in history all the time that, mm -hmm. that no one in when, when two nations, um, are opposed to each other, you it's, it's convenient to call one, you know, the, it's like history sides with the victor and all that, but like no one is in the right in those right. kind of circumstances. They all have their reasons uh, to to hate each other. And and you're very subversive too in terms of what you do with Zia and Zolf. Like I I think you know this, but but the expectation of course that you're going to rescue Zia when she doesn't need rescuing, she just wanted to know what happened. Uh, and you're going to have to fight a boss battle with Zolf. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously that's a huge, you know, it's sort of like, whoa, that the Ura did the fight I yep. was going to do. And it's not even a fight; they just beat the guy down. I mean, in both of those cases, that's kind of considering just how how parsimonious and how frugal you are with with all this exposition and stuff. Those are great twists that you work into the end of the game. Thank you. I mean, that, that's just trying to, yeah. I mean, that's trying to, uh, you know, it, uh, obviously uh, we we want to. Um, defy people's expectations that's yeah. what makes for an interesting story right is like it, it shouldn't it shouldn't play out the way you expect um so that's absolutely uh intentional of like yeah leading up to itself is this kind of he's kind of a a fancy lad right he's like a better you know better <laughs> better dressed he's uh he's kind of tall and handsome yeah you don't he doesn't even look yeah and the narrator plays to it also he's like oh the kid you know the kid could kick his ass and like meanwhile you're <laughs> you're hauling hauling him out of there so yeah we're, we're definitely hopefully that's a cool little uh, surprising moment for people uh, and, and we knew that we didn't want it's like with the with the with the content of the story it's like you know the we we would joke about it or whatever like the idea that you know it's like zulf in a mech suit at the end or something like that <laughs> So it's so terrible, you know. Yeah. So we we definitely wanted to reject the 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 convention there, but at the same time, you know, offer a a climactic uh, conclusion. We didn't want to rob people of of that feeling. Now, am I correct that 
if you if you don't try to rescue Zolf, you don't hear the second song until the credits. That, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's yeah, kind of, that's because I'm starting, I love that second song too, yeah. and I I was like I would have. I, I mean, I feel like. Uh, that's kind of tough. You, some people don't get to hear that second song as well. Yeah, we tried it. We tried it both ways. Um, in fact, like in the yeah, we. I, I'm so glad we offered that choice around Zulf because for a while we weren't sure that we were gonna. Um, but when we when we tested it on people, it really it really validated um, the the decision because people felt that they they they. So, so there's some portion of players who are like they're purely around gameplay, and they're like, I don't understand, mm-hmm. like what you know, this didn't like improve my strength or something, and that's fine. <laughs> but, but for most people, like they 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 were able to make that expressive choice, and we knew that we we hope that for players paying attention to the story, that they would have conflicted feelings around Zulf and can and can make like a true truly ambiguous choice there. Um, and and both are we we do not place judgment. They're like both totally valid. Uh, decisions under uh, under the circumstances um but yeah i mean we if you if you choose to leave him behind then then we figure that your disposition as a player is like you know what fuck these guys um and and so we wanted to use our uh our rousing you know uh kind of a combat theme there of like <laughs> you're, you're just gonna you know you're gonna cause these guys to come crashing to their deaths um, as you as you march, uh, you know, do your Sherman's march uh, to the exit. Um, the 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 emotional tone there, uh, you know, trying to align ah, with, right. with their experience was was different. So, and we were, you know, we we hoped that the endings would be compelling enough in the new game plus and all that that people would even after they made their kind of initial main choice that they would want to go back and see it the other way. Right. By the way, if anyone complains about like like if and I don't know if this is something that people say, but if anybody's like Bastion is too short, this game should be longer. I I want you to punch them really hard in the <laughs> arm for me. I I uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm uh we we aim to make a game of like a a just right kind of length. Um we wanted as a story-driven game, we did not want to overstay our welcome um and but we wanted it to feel like a grand adventure at the same time, not be too short. Uh, not be too long. Um, offer people reasons to come back and play. You know, for the more hardcore people, like they could, they could do the who knows where levels over and over, play with idols and fully upgrade everything. So it's like, I, I, I feel really good about the balance that we found, especially right. for you know, I, obviously fifteen dollars means different things to different people, but it's like. It's a $15 game that's longer than the average $60 first-person shooter campaign. Um, I'm, I don't. I will make no apologies about our our, our game length. Uh, now, now before we wrap up, I, there are three very specific things I want to ask you about and, and get yep. your thoughts on on these things in the game. Uh, the decision to have Zia speak at the end. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So <clears throat> that was. So there. Uh, another thing. Uh, back to the question of what were things that i didn't want uh to have spoiled um Mm -hmm. one of them is the reveal that the narrator is telling the story to zia Mm -hmm. um which which is a which is a subtle moment in the story and and i think that some people will miss it and that's okay um but the idea and and to be to be honest i don't know i don't know that how that we deliver on this perfectly, <clears throat> but the idea is that in that final scene, that's the first time in the story that it's sort of present progressive 
tense of like the kid is there in the scene and that's and it's the first time in the story that the characters are talking directly to the kid instead of it being filtered through the narrator's uh internal monologue um so it was it was the opportunity to reinforce that through zia talking like addressing you directly it's no longer the narrator's version of things um did you uh, like I'm, i'm curious did you like notice that part of the story I think um, it's before then. It is. Like, it's when he's off at, is it Telemann Station? It, no, Taza, I forget the name of the underground yeah, terminal. It's when you, it's when you find, Z, it's when you find Zia, you know, the second time. Um, but there's, and, a, there's a point where the narrator says during the narration, he, he I think he, he uses her name or something, but he yeah, says he he's talking to Zia. So it's clear at that point right. that, that this, that, that's the conversation that's been going on. So yeah, yeah, I definitely think you guys made that clear. Like you said, yeah. it's subtle. There's, there's no, you know, it's something that people have to want to know about. You have to pay attention enough. Uh, but I think you definitely put that in there. It's clear. Yeah, yeah and it's actually one of the things, you know, in, in terms of like, cool. Uh, that was so to me personally. Um, it was a, it was an important aspect of the narrative in terms of like framing why this story is being told very important because the whole, the whole thing is essentially like, uh, it's the narrator's attempt to convince Zia that like, they have to, they have to use, you know, the bastion for its intended purpose. He's trying to kind of talk her into it, but he, but through the course of talking her into it, he realizes that he, it dawns on him that there is this other alternative and like, Oh my God, maybe there is this option. He's been so fixated on, on reliving his life. He is a person with it. You know, he's this great man. He's this kind of, uh, you know, almost like this Ben Franklin, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, what's his, what's his name? Um, Mark, this kind of Ben Franklin, Mark Twain type of, a character, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, all these, all these kind of great men <laughs> conflated into one. He's done all these great things, um, but he, but he's so he can't get over the mistakes that he's made, and so he's so hell bent on like going back and and having another chance to redo them. Um, but you, you know, through the course of telling this story, he it occurs to him that yeah, there's this other alternative. So yeah, we wanted to give um, Zia a voice at the end to to help express that that. Um, that particular turn, um, and 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 once again to throw like a final kind of surprise in there, uh, we had to we had to re those were super challenging lines to write, <laughs> um, and we recast that role. Um, it, it was tough, man, especially because because like no one with Logan's performance, like it, no one that we know really comes close. So it, to get someone to be, to not attempt to outdo him, but just to like, uh, you know, fill, fill the role appropriately. Yep. Um, yep. yeah, but, but to me, it was like, if we didn't do that, the whole structure of the story would have made no sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's how important it was to me. Um, so but tell me briefly, who is that voice actress and who is the singer for the, the build a bridge or, uh, what's uh, the song? Build a wall. Build that wall. Yeah. Um, right. the, the singer's name is Ashley Barrett. Um, she's a friend of of Darren's. Um, mm-hmm. So Darren wrote the song. We actually have a version of it. The the first version Darren sang himself, and I, I think is actually uh, really quite good. Uh, Darren is the sing the male vocalist um, on um, on you know the other songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah and, and but but then uh, Ashley uh, does not. Uh, 
the the first uh, performance of uh, of Zia's speaking lines Ashley did because we wanted uh, the consistency, but we ended up uh, recasting it to try and get the tone just right. Um, uh, and uh, the um, uh, what's what's her last name? Uh, Kristen Wilson uh, is the name of the actress who who provides Zia's uh, speaking lines. And then also like a, yeah, as a little a trivia thing, um, Ashley and Kirsten uh, provide the voices of the female Ura, and then and then ah. Darren. And Darren and Logan provide the voices of the male era, like the and and we wrote like a I have like a whole kind of fake language for them for all the stuff that they're uh-huh. um, that they're you know barking at you as in in the late game. Now uh, are are Darren's and Ashley's music available anywhere outside of Bastion? Um, Darren has you know what I should be Johnny on the spot with an answer to that. Um, there. Ashley, I believe, has like a, a MySpace music page okay. with some of her stuff, and Darren's been in bands like for for a long time. Um, I'm sure if you, I we'll have to we'll have to post something about that. Okay. Um, I actually Googled yeah. Ashley Barrett, and there's apparently, and this is too bad. There's apparently some like young modely type chick who's all <laughs> she just fills up all the Google results, and I'm yeah. like. Really, they got a model to sing this song, and <laughs> so. Oh, but yeah. I think the model has two T's, and I think you guys actually just has one T at the end of her name, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, all right, so so uh, two other very minor things I want to ask you about. Uh, first of all, what does the telescope do? Oh, the like the item. So some of the items that you find don't. They they only serve like a narrative function. Right. But doesn't have... the telescope like zoom the view out way back, or am I just making that up? Oh, you you have that. You actually have that option from the start. If you hit it's, um, we had it mapped like on on the HUD for a while, but we decided to cut the 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 HUD and just let people find it. But if you press the Y button in the bastion, it like zooms out and lets and so that okay. you can get like a full view of uh, of the town. But yeah, little. I think I knew that, but I thought I'd, I'd accidentally done that with the telescope yeah. or something. That, or, okay. that's, that's a cool idea. Actually, we probably <laughs> should, we probably should have done just what you said. And well, you know, the thing is, the, some of these little things you would find, I'm like, oh, this is just some goofy collectible. But then I'd find something like the gramophone, yeah, and yeah. I'd be like, oh yeah, I can just I can just let the game run and play the song on a loop in the background while I'm yeah. working. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so finally, tell me what is the deal. With uh, the dream sequence on on Jossen Bog specifically, where you find the piece of ore and the piece of wood and you light the fire, yeah. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure I understand that, and I'm not sure I want to understand it because there's this sort of, I'll use the word poetry yeah. again. There's a kind of a poetic simplicity to it, yeah. and it's almost like a a, a gentle jab at fetch quests. Um, yeah, what I uh, so I can tell you what that you know is meant to that that. <clears throat> That whole sequence, um, you know, it's 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 sort of moving backwards in time, right? Because um, you, you you start at um, you start at Prosper Bluff, and then you go back to the Hanging Gardens, um, and then the the Soul Regret, the tavern, uh, right at the beginning. Then you see the Bastion all uh, overgrown and stuff like that. So so that final uh, ordinary campsite sequence um, is is suggestive of uh, what the kid's life was like uh, prior to the calamity, because uh, he's as you learn from his. Um, from his who knows where sequence, he's this kind of hardworking, uh, you know, he's a pretty blue collar guy and he just had kind of a shitty, uh, you know, working class kind of life. Um, and you know, you were about to say something. No, I, you know what? I did not catch the, the idea that you were going backwards through time. Yeah. That's beautiful, Greg. That's, I mean, again, that's, that's that, very subtle, and you don't need to hit people over the head with that. But now that you've explained it, I'm like, yes, of course, that's lovely. 
Yeah, so that's that. That's you know that that's his life uh, prior to the calamity. Essentially, he he was out because because we explained that you know and and again in, in terms of like subverting player expectations, you know we we did not want this kid to be the chosen one, right? Um, <laughs> he he's he's someone who who as fortune had it uh, was was sufficiently far away from the city to have survived. Um, that that's kind of the implication of why he is still. Um, alive um and yeah so you you learn a bit about that through his backstory um and and yeah that that uh, the Justin Bog sequence is, is a glimpse into his like mundane and and sort of uh you know hard working kind of existence the the idea once again being that <clears throat> his life has always been hard and the calamity made it even harder um but like boy you know it's more exciting now right right <laughs> Well, Greg, I, I could talk to you for hours. I Thanks. really appreciated you taking the time talking yeah, to me about the game. This, uh, this was really, really fun for me, too, because I've never had uh, – just just to tell you, I, I've, I've been sitting on, on this stuff for so long, and this is the first <laughs> time I've had a chance to come out with this stuff and, and, and talk through it. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun uh, for me as well. So thank well, you for, for having me. And congratulations to you and all the guys on the team. Uh, yeah. It sounds like it's doing great for you, and I hope it continues to do great. And uh, just a, a tip of the hat, and thanks for just providing us with this fantastic game. Yeah, so. thank you so much. All right, take care then, Greg. It's coming down. It's coming down. It's raining outside. Coming down, she's leaving.